Morning, church. Lame. Good morning, church. Good morning, online. Wow. So we finish up a series today called Easter People, and you'll notice the cross is still here. What we did each week during the series was we identified people who uh, were impacted by the Easter story, people who went back and forth, had a, a, an encounter with Jesus, a transforming encounter of some kind, uh, Lazarus, who was obviously dead, Nicodemus, who was uh, uh, sort of uh, doubtful, Thomas, who was uh, cynical, even the, the ones that didn't line up with the message, Malchus, the uh, guy who got his ear cut off in the Garden of Gethsemane, or even Barabbas, uh, who was freed so that Jesus could be sacrificed. So what has happened each week is that as we've finished up each service, there have been reminders. People uh, are able to put uh, uh, notes on the cross of people that uh, remind them of the person we've been talking about. And, and they got prayed for each and every week, and, and they continue to be prayed for. And so we'll take this away after this week, but I, I just want you to know that the prayers continue, that there is a, a sense that we're keeping on and keeping on, and today's the last one. And so it only makes sense that we would uh, talk about some people who were profoundly changed by the resurrection, right? They were one way before, they were a, another way after, there was something, and then there was something, there's just this sense of, of change that took place. And so that's what I want to talk about. And if you want to go ahead and find in your Bibles, we're going to be in Acts 1, 2, 3, 4, John 19, 20, 21 probably a little bit in Matthew, Luke 22. Go ahead and get there if you want to. No, I'll kind of help you along. So we're going to look at a story pretty much in Acts chapter 4, but I want you to get this part. With an unfailing God, failure is never final. Because if we're going to talk about transformation because of the resurrection, at some point, all of us need to own that we were something and then we were something, that we were something before and we're something now. And, and we'll also be really honest and say there are, are times even after we've been walking with Jesus where there are things we wish we'd have done differently, things that we wish we'd have said or, or taken an opportunity to share a kind word with somebody else or, or, or to, to act in a way that's compassionate. And, and we just didn't. We blew it. We went away from that conversation or that, that opportunity, and we went, eh, no. And, and so that's, that's kind of all of us today. And, and I don't want to wrap up this series talking about the transformation that the resurrection brings. So we're going to talk about Easter people one more time. Peter and John were two disciples, and uh, other than the failure of King David with Bathsheba, I don't know of another failure that's so public other than Simon Peter. Now, to give you just a little bit of the backstory, Simon Peter was uh, one of the early disciples of Jesus, one of the first to sign on, one of the first to follow him around, kind of do this whole deal. Three years, Peter did a lot of stuff. Some of it was classic failure. Walk on water, okay. A few steps, not so good. 
brave, brave uh, guy cuts off the ear of a soldier in the Garden of Gethsemane. We talked about that. There's a, an event called the Transfiguration where, where God's glory showed up and Peter tried to organize it all. And Jesus said, just stop talking. And so we have the, the classic sense of, of this is a guy that, number one, stumbled a lot, and number two, he reminds us of us a lot. And what I wanted to look at was what made the change. I wrote this in my notes. People are different when they have a real encounter with Jesus. Catching up, when Jesus was crucified, his disciples ran. Only John is recorded as being at the cross, though I suspect the rest of them weren't far away. Then the hope of the resurrection stirred them. Hope from despair, Peter, James, and John, and the rest were transformed from cowardly to courageous, argumentative to articulate, selfish to selfless. I worked hard on that sentence. Then they later were joined by Paul, who had an encounter of his own with the resurrected Jesus. What made the difference? Well, so I want to leap forward and then leap backwards. We're going to start in John cha- in Acts chapter 4. We'll start in Acts chapter 4. I guess I better catch you up on the screen. We're going to start here with this story that's remarkable because it's in the midst of persecution, right? Jesus' crucifixion, kind of they thought that might have just been the, the tip of the iceberg, that there was a lot of that kind of stuff that was going to happen. And as the early church unfolded, a lot of it did happen, but... Let's, let's, let's just look at this story. This story takes place about two months after the crucifixion. So the, the thing of Pentecost, which we studied in Acts chapter 2, the commissioning that Jesus gave in Acts chapter 1, and then the aftermath of all of that in Acts chapter 3, that all took place about 50 days, Penta 50, Pentecost 50 days after the resurrection. So Jesus has ascended to heaven. The disciples have been told, go do your thing. They're in the process of going to do their thing. And now all of a sudden, Peter and John are on their way to the temple, the place in Jerusalem where they taught a lot. And there was a a, a lame guy that was there. Now, the end of this story says that he was 40 years old and he had been that way from birth. So this, this wasn't one of those miracles that shows up and, and, and nobody can even remember when he was sick, but now he's well. Everybody knew this guy for four decades had been dragged to the temple every day by his family, hoping that he could get a few coins from people who felt sorry for him. And maybe and maybe not, they dared to think that a miracle would happen and he would be healed. So Peter and John are going to church, going to the temple thing, and they're going to speak and talk and and be bold and all the stuff that they are now. And the guy says, how about some coins? Maybe he held up a sign. Maybe he had a dog. I don't know. He was, he was there like the, the end of the interstate ramp, and, and, and all he was really after was money. Peter said, hey, we don't have any money. We're just disciples, so I, I can't give you any coins. But what I do have, I'll give you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, rise and walk. Didn't see that coming. 
And so he did. His, his, his legs were strengthened. He began to leap and dance and, and whatever else. And, and he, he was hanging on to them, just clinging to them. And that gave Peter a chance to preach a little bit. You know, us preachers, we're always looking for an opportunity. And so he preached this powerful sermon where he said, and, and I'll just read a little bit of it at the end of chapter 3. He said in chapter 3, verse 19, "'Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that He may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus.'" He said, verse 16, by his name, Jesus, by faith in his name, he has made this guy strong. We, we don't have anything. And just like Jesus, when you start talking in a way that upsets the status quo, persecution comes. And in this particular case, it came in the form of the religious police now, these aren't the Roman police who have the power to crucify. These are the religious police that have the power to throw rocks at you and, and really make your life miserable. And so it hadn't escalated with these two yet. It would. Both, both would, would be persecuted at the hands of the Romans as well. But in this particular case, they sent the, the, the religious police, and they picked them up, and they, they arrested them, and here we go. So I pick up the story. Verse 1 of chapter 4, as they were speaking to the people, Peter and John, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees. Now, let me stop there for a second. We've talked in here a lot about the Pharisees that were one of the religious groups, kind of a, a political party but religious. Their counterpart on the other side of the aisle was called the Sadducees. The Pharisees, very devout, tried to follow all the rules. The Sadducees were much more worldly. They, they kind of said, hey, whatever helps you get through the day, the, the religion is good, it keeps order, it helps the, the people kind of know their place. But as far as miracles and all that stuff, eh, not so much. So the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection. Now, Watch where Peter goes with this. It's kind of like he's poking them with a stick. So he, the, the Sadducees came upon them greatly annoyed because they were proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. All right? The resurrection from the dead. Sadducees, nah. But they were afraid. Next line, verse 4, many of those who had heard the word believed. And the number of the men came to about 5,000. Sorry, ladies, but a lot of times in the Bible, they just count men, and the feeding of the 5,000, they guess there were 10,000 people there with women and children. When they say 2,000 came to know the Lord at, at, at Pentecost, it was probably double that. And when it says 5,000 people had now gathered and sort of were the church, yeah, it was probably 10,000. And so they were a formidable mob, and, and they knew they couldn't, the, the, the religious leaders knew that they didn't want to get into too much trouble. So then they let them sit in the cell overnight. Verse 5, on the next day, the rulers and elders and scribes, whenever that term is used, it's talking about the whole religious leadership, Pharisees, Sadducees, anybody with a pulse, if you could put on a really nice robe, you can show up. And they were sort of the Supreme Court and the Congress, and they were judge, jury, execution. They were all of it. 
And so they all showed up. Verse 7, they put them in the middle of them, and they said, by what power or what name do you do this? Now, I have lawyer friends. Any of you here lawyer friends? I have heard from lawyers over and over again, never ask a question you don't know the answer to. Never, never raise an issue that you don't know how it's going to end. And so they asked this critically flawed question. The guy is healed. He's there. 10,000 people are milling about, and they say, by what name did you do this? <laughs> Peter goes, I am so glad you asked that question. And so he starts on, right? He says, we get a qualifier in verse 8. Then Peter, it's like there wasn't enough boldness here. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. And he said, rulers, people, the elders, if we're being examined today because we did something nice, so be it. But let it be known, verse 10, to all of you that the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, poke with a stick, the name, that name, whom God raised from the dead, resurrection, another poke with a stick. Let it be known to you that, that, that it's by him that this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that you all rejected, but he's the cornerstone. And there's salvation by no other name under heaven given by which you must be saved. Now, let me catch up a little bit. It's kind of strange how when someone backs us into a corner about what we believe, that what we believe becomes a little bit more clear. We often catch ourselves kind of dog paddling or backpedaling or, or, or just treading water when, when somebody brings up religion. And we know we've been transformed by Christ. We know that we're not what we were. We know that our death has given way to life. Our darkness has given way to light. We know all that. And all of a sudden, we're at work or we're at a, a public place, and eh, it's so uncomfortable to talk about faith and stuff. You know, you don't ever talk about taxes or politics or faith at the Thanksgiving table. Where do you get it? But now we kind of go, okay, I, here's an opportunity. Somebody's asking me directly about my faith. And that's why Peter is so interesting in this story is because way back in Luke chapter 22, when Jesus was arrested, when he was tried air quotes, in this midnight court at the home of Caiaphas, the high priest. When, when all that went down, Peter was waiting outside. Somebody said, uh, yeah, you're one of them, right? You're one of those disciple guys. No. You're, no, no, you are. I recognize. No. And, and three times he denied him. So, so his failure is incredibly public. And yet now, the next verse says, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, perceived that they were uncommon and untrained men, but that they had been with Jesus. If verse 8 is a key that he was filled with the Holy Spirit, then this is the other key. The, 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 the difference between then and now is that he was with Jesus. He'd been with Jesus. But he didn't get there all at once. So sometimes... 
our persecution is helpful. Sometimes our people getting in our face is helpful. Sometimes our failures are helpful because they alert us to the opportunity for growth. Cute book that was written a while back by a, a now uh, the late pastor Calvin Miller. It was called The Philippian Fragment, and he wrote about a fictitious pastor in Jerusalem with another fictitious pastor probably in Philippi. And the, the history of it was that in the early days of the persecution, the, the, the persecution got real. In other words, Christians were thrown into arenas with lions. And in this fictitious encounter, one bishop says to another, it just hasn't been the same since they sent the lions back to Rome. <laughs> because when the lions were there, when there was a threat, the church was alive. The church was growing. The church was expanding. It was them and us. It was this, this sense of, of persecution really lit the fire. And in, in Acts chapter 8, we, we see that because of the persecution, the, the church was scattered all over the place, and everywhere they went, they preached with boldness. So they weren't dumb. They weren't going to sit around and wait to get thrown into the pit, but they were going to preach Jesus wherever they went. And so sometimes persecution nudges us forward. We'll read in just a minute that in his defense, Peter said, hey, we, you, you, you do what you got to do. We can't stop speaking about what we have experienced. So with an incredibly long introduction out of the way, I want you to maybe hear that, that when you get that nudge when you're out in the world or with your family or at work or whatever, that that nudge is what Peter felt that day. So here it is. Failure is always a place that brings us to a decision point. Am I going to give up? Am I going to keep going? So I, I, I made a mistake. Maybe it was a big mistake. I, I, we hear about big mistakes all the time in relationships, in jobs, in, in marriages, in children. We, we hear about big mistakes. I've made more than my share of big mistakes. But failure always brings you to a decision point, right? There's an article in Forbes magazine that came out a while back, and it said that the CEOs of the biggest companies, when they have a strategic hire, they look for someone who has had failure in their resume. They, they look for somebody who's fallen down and had to get up. They look for somebody who'd, who had to develop some kind of, of coping or strategy or, or thick skin or whatever it is. They, 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 they look for somebody who has failed. And I get it. We, we see the transformation of this disciple. We, we see him move from denial to declaration, from this, from this timidness to boldness. And we see it in living color, and I couldn't help but think back and go, I wonder if we can observe a few things about the process. I wonder if maybe we can look at some things that happened along the way. So again, stay where you are in Acts. We're going to come back to that. I'll put the Scriptures on the screen here. 
First thing I observe is that he remembered. He remembered the words. He remembered what Jesus had promised. He remembered what Jesus had predicted, even to the point that he remembered that Jesus predicted his failure. Then maybe there was reasons behind that. Maybe it was pride. Maybe it was his his uh, sort of arrogance, his, his, his manly, I'll, I'll defend you no matter what happens. But he basically said, Peter, everybody's got a moment of weakness. Everybody's got a place they're going to stumble. And he remembered that Jesus told him that exactly. And then he owned it. Now, this is interesting to me that, that he owned his failure. That he owned his eclipse of faith. You know, sometimes when we're having real problems, our, our, our faith takes a beating, right? We, we don't always feel like we're very strong spiritually, or we don't always feel like we're, we, we, we've got what it takes spiritually, and I don't know enough Bible, and I'm not strong enough, and I'm not a very good speaker, and, 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 and we've got all these, and we just don't feel very close to God. Because we messed up. We, we didn't say something we should have said. We did say something we shouldn't have said. We did something we shouldn't have done. We didn't do something we should have done. Paul talks about that in Romans 7. And we just don't feel very strong. But in our human spirit, what we're going to try to do is blame somebody else for it. Well, that preacher is just not very good. Don't use that one. Well, this just got in the way. Well, my well, my kids. Well, my boss. Well, my and and instead of of owning that, there were some things that I did that took me out of a place. You you would observe in the scripture that that one of the the, the real intriguing lines it says that Peter followed Jesus at a distance throughout his trial, at a distance, and Peter finally owned it, and it says that he wept bitterly. Tears of repentance. It's me. I did it. Will you forgive me? And he moved on. He continued to pursue Jesus. Sometimes we forget or, or we jump real fast from the denials to the, the empty tomb, right? But in between that was the cross. In between that was, was Peter watching Jesus be nailed to a cross with the very real, real possibility that he would be next if he was identified too closely. But instead of going, okay, that was all a dream, I thought he was going to be this, I thought Jesus was going to make my life better, that, that, that I was going to have uh, just uh, uh, great friends and great support, a big house, a nice job, and kick the Romans out. I believed all of those things would take place, and none of that happened, so I guess I'm out of here. I guess I'm done with this. That faith was a nice experiment, but not so much. But when Peter got the news that the tomb that was supposed to contain Jesus didn't, he ran towards it instead of away from it. He ran towards that truth instead of away from that truth. Now, we all observe that John pretty much went out of the way to say I was faster than he was, but that's just fun. 
But Peter ran towards Jesus and not away from him. But the weird thing is we don't hear of him much. We, we don't really hear uh, of Simon Peter a whole lot in this interim. It, we, we know that he was around on the night of the resurrection after Peter had run to the tomb and said, yep, that's true, he's not here. Jesus appeared to him and all the rest of them except Thomas on that night in this place we call the upper room. We don't have any reason to believe that Peter wasn't there. The only one that says was missing was Thomas. And so Peter hung around the other guys. He didn't just bail on everybody. And he was processing, 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 stayed in community with those guys. Maybe he heard about Thomas's doubt. Maybe he heard about John and, and what Jesus said to him from the cross. But, but he stayed around them. And then later on in this same chapter, John chapter 21, we have that incredible conversation that took place when Jesus finally got to clear the air with this conversation. You know, I can't help but imagine you've been around somebody, maybe your parents, maybe your kids, when there's a conversation that needs to happen. There needs to be a clearing of the air. And, I, and, and even when Jesus appeared to the disciples in the upper room, I kind of imagine Peter was going, yeah, we need to talk about that denial thing. We need to talk about the failure thing. But I don't know. Well, so finally, at a beach on the side of the Sea of Galilee, Jesus initiated this conversation with him. And he, he asked him, he said, do you love me more than these do you love me more than your own life? Do you love me more than fishing? Do you love me more than, than all of this? And this awkward conversation took place, and at the end, we readers recognize that Jesus was calling him out. Jesus was kind of rebuking him, saying, you, you did exactly what I said you were going to do, but I'm asking you now, or, are, are you going forward or are you going backwards? Are you, are you getting up or are you going to stay down? And Peter just received that. Well, sometimes we don't own our own stuff, but it's very seldom that we receive rebuke about it. And yet, he did. And finally, he was filled with the Spirit. It's what we read in Acts chapter 4, verse 8. He was filled with the Spirit. That's why he could be bold. So, so let me back up for a second. I've, I've got this clicker thing that lets me go backwards as well as forward. How cool is that? He remembered what Jesus said. Now, I'd ask you to frame your latest failure in your mind, your latest denial, your latest freeze up in the face of opportunity. What all has Jesus said to you? What all has He spoken to you through the Word, through songs, through, through teaching? Have you wept tears of repentance over that failure? Have you, have you said, God, I, I, I did that, and, and I repent, and I, I pray your forgiveness? Do you continue to seek Jesus? Do you run towards Him instead of awakening? Do you grieve over your sin? Do you have that 
that, that sense of ownership, that sense of let me, let me be quiet, let me, let me let it simmer until I figure out really a way forward? Do you stay in community? Do you, do you take a vacation from church because it just makes you feel bad? Or do you stay in community learning, hearing, maybe even hearing some other stories of, of didn't work out so well and now we're trying to rebuild it? Do you receive rebuke? The challenge, do you get that, 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 that through the Scripture God is telling us to change direction? And do we acknowledge that we're filled with the Spirit? Do we acknowledge that any time we have we have stumbled and we, we get back up. It's only through the strength of the Spirit of God that we can get back up at all. This last slide I want to show you, my fact checkers kept uh, asking me if I meant if you don't fail, you aren't trying anything. I meant fall because in my mind, it's my love for both water skiing and snow skiing back in the day that we used to say, if you don't fall, you're not trying anything new. If you don't fall down, you're just doing what's safe. You're doing what you know how to do. You're staying on the greens. You're, 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 you're staying behind the boat. You're, you're, you're in safe water, safe snow. If you don't fall, you're not really trying anything. So the script is a little bit backwards we think once we become a follower of Christ that we ought to do everything right. I'll never say bad words again. I'll never have bad thoughts about somebody again. I'll, I'll never be lazy. I'll never be slothful. I'll never be angry. I'll never fail to forgive somebody. Well, if you don't fail or fall, you're not trying anything. We need to be in places where our faith is stretched a little bit where maybe the opposition to that faith calls us out. We were all captivated in the Masters Tournament by an amateur golfer, Texas A&M student named Sam Bennett, and he had a tattoo on his left arm that uh, his dad's words, and I, I want to get them right, don't wait to do something. And so every time he lined up a putt, he saw that tattoo on his arm, don't wait to do something. And it seemed like good advice for us that if we're waiting to know enough Scripture, if we're waiting to know the right way to say something in conversation, the right time to let people know that we're a follower of Christ, the right time to be baptized, the right time to take a leadership position, the right time to step out, the right time. There, there may never be a right time. Yeah, certainly God will take our, our, our stumbles and He'll make something out of them. But it just seems to me that the the lessons of all of this have to do with God saying, here's one of the worst failures you can imagine, and look what I did with him. Here, here's one of the worst things you could possibly do, deny, betray that you even knew the guy, and yet I'm going to turn you into one of the most powerful spokesmen anywhere. The end of the story in Acts 
But Peter and John answered them and says, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, we cannot judge, but we cannot stop speaking about that which we have seen and heard. We serve an unfailing God. And even though all of us can make an inventory of our failures We serve an unfailing God. So with an unfailing God, failure is never final. It's never the last word. It's always a matter of getting back up, getting a new start, beginning to practice the things that we know we need to be, staying in community, running towards Jesus and not away from Him. God has given us an immeasurable gift And way back in Acts chapter 3, verse 19, repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. That's good news. But listen to this part, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of Jesus. Don't we want those times of refreshing? And yet a lot of the things that Simon Peter did, we do the opposite. And it probably explains a lot of why we feel the way we do. Would you pray with me? God, help us to not wait to do something. Help us, Father, to see your hand at work, even in our lives, that Easter people are successes and they are failures, and that, God, sometimes failure is nothing uh, that, that I did, that it's persecution, that, 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 that there, is, uh, there are forces, there are evil forces that would not want the name of Jesus to be told. And, and, and God, I know that I have missed opportunities. I know that people in here have missed opportunities to simply live in a way that glorifies you. Lord, thanks for this story, for the story of transformation that if we feel like we're more stuck in Luke 22 instead of Acts chapter 4, then, then fill us with the Holy Spirit. Let us be aware of your presence, that our words would be kind and bold, that our attitude would be that we have crossed over from death to life, from darkness to light, despair to hope. Father, if there's somebody here who's never trusted you, and all of this stuff sounds crazy, but, but yet deep down they want their failures to turn to glory, peace. I pray that this would be the day that they say, Lord Jesus, I need you. Come into my life. Help me learn what it is to be a follower of Christ. If you're watching online and our online pastor is, is waiting there, if you're in the room, then see one of our volunteers out in the lobby, see a pastor up front. God, let our words be honest with you. Let us own the things that we have done and lean on you, Father. Lean on your spirit to help us move in a way that's productive, in a way that that is glorifying to you, in a way that, that out of our mouth comes the name of Jesus with joy, with peace, with boldness. Father, thanks for the day. Send us into our week proclaiming your name.